everybody. Welcome to all the WrestleManias podcast. I'm your co-host, Tim Hackman. And I'm Rich Sigwald. We are very excited to be in the studio with you, as always. We hope you enjoyed our uh, recent episodes. We did a, another crossover with the Turtle War guys. We did a fun AWA Super Sunday show, including uh, one of the several, uh, I don't know, not screw job is a little strong, but um, what do you want to call it? Betrayals? Extreme dusty finish. <laughs> Of poor old Hawk Hogan, who was uh, just just starting out and was not even a real American yet. Um, so those were a lot of fun. We hope you uh, check those out. We're also going to try to get a uh, WrestleMania 39 preview up for y'all, um, since we want to be on the cutting edge of all your most current wrestling content. So check those out. Um, today, we are taking a little look back once again. We're going back to 1989 to the NWA Clash of Champions number six as the Raging Cajun show from uh, the Louisiana Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana. Attendance about 5,300. There's 10 matches on this card, including five title matches, but unfortunately, the version that's out there to watch is a little bit less than complete, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and we, we kind of picked this one mainly for the main event, and uh, you'll yeah. have to figure out why. Um, this is t- one of the trilogy of matches between Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Ric Flair. It's uh, it's an awesome one. Uh, you may remember that we talked about their other matches on the Chi-Town Rumble show, uh, also from 89, and the Wrestle War 89 show. Um so this is the second of the three. Yeah, we watched them out of order, but uh, it, we could argue definitely that we saved the last one for last. We saved the best one for last, for sure. Uh, yeah, this one's, this this one's one, pretty incredible. It's exhausting, this one. Um, <laughs> but uh, I watched it twice. How many times did you watch it? Uh, only once, just because uh, I've been under time crunch and stuff going on here. But yeah. Um, it lives in my head now, rent free. It, <laughs> it's just there. It's great, and all the things that we loved about their other matches are here. Um, you know, Ricky's sort of understatedness, uh, his chubby baby, Ric Flair's over the top, this uh, selling from both guys. It's just extreme athleticism, uh, really dramatic and impressive storytelling. It has uh, it's pretty much something for everybody. So, yeah, today, today's also. Uh, Today's also a fun episode because I'm uh, I'm prepping for a medical procedure tomorrow, so I I don't get to eat all day. So this is the Tim's extra hangry episode of uh, of all the WrestleManias. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm expecting you to just be like that match sucked. That <laughs> match sucked. God, I hate everything. Oh, this uh, match needs more chicken fingers. What the yeah. fuck? Yeah, I just need honey all over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I um, you know, I I didn't realize uh, is you know I'm I'm okay actually with the not having the food, but um, what I'm not okay with is how much of my day I spend thinking about what I'm going to eat next. I don't maybe that's I didn't I don't know that I realized that about myself. I spend a good part of the morning thinking about what lunch is going to be like, and then most of the afternoon thinking about what dinner is going to be like. And now because now I'm like, oh, I can't wait for lunch. And I'm like, oh, um, yeah, it's it's a uh, we are crippled by food. <laughs> I need to get a new hobby. Clearly, <laughs> we are we're, we are paralyzed by it, and uh, yeah, it's um. I mean, you could just start, you know, steroids and just go crazy and like get the Hulkamania ripped and start eating five dozen eggs a day and raw and just yeah. get get into it, you know, or yeah, 
take all the emotion out of your food. <laughs> well, that's not going to happen, clearly. No, clearly not. It's... I have off this week, and I actually planned my entire day yesterday around the place I was going to go for lunch. And it was totally worth it, for the record. But, um, again, also maybe not the most most healthy. No. I should, a, I should get a hobby like podcasting or something. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you could <laughs> you could start a second podcast with Jackie, just like I've started a second podcast with my wife. Yeah. What's the name of your podcast again? Uh, so it is called So Top with Brennan Rich. And uh, it's not about wrestling whatsoever because my Ooh. wife doesn't like wrestling whatsoever. Uh, but we uh, each week or whenever we can, uh, depending on when our child goes to sleep, we sit down and we talk about our three top things of some random topic that we've picked. And then we pick out like some honorable mentions or some maybe not so good ones sometimes, but we try to keep the show fairly positive, but it's a, uh, it's, it's kind of similar to the turtle wars to where we end up on tangents a little bit, but, uh, my wife is very much a taskmaster and very good at bringing me back in <laughs> this, pull me back, back into the actual topic. Uh, so we've done three episodes so far, so check it out. So top with Brennan rich. Yeah, I can tell when I the ones I listen to that she she has definitely led some uh, academic meetings and has yeah. had <laughs> has had to facilitate with a capital F. Um, yeah, I mean so, the, yeah. the most recent episode, she literally says, "Okay, we need to wrap it up and move on." <laughs> to me, so uh, yeah, that's that's straight out of the facilitator's handbook, right there. Yeah, let's let's put a pin in that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, check it out. Um, I do not have a second podcast to promote um, at the moment, but um, this one is this one is more than enough. Um, yeah. So anyway, are we ready to talk uh, Clash of Champions? Yeah. So Clash of Champions six, the Raging Cajun Showdown from the the New Orleans Superdome, but they only chose to have five thousand people come to the sixty thousand seat stadium for a wrestling show. And that is because, uh, I don't know if you looked at the date that this occurred on. Uh, So that was April 2nd, 1989, the same night as WrestleMania 5. This was uh, the NWA's last attempt to go head-to-head with the WWF with a super card. Um, uh, Throughout this whole program, they take jabs at the WWF, as as a lot of their programming does at this time. there, JR throws in a lot of stuff because Jim Ross and Michael P.S. Hayes are on commentary. They both take shots. And then uh, the show opens up with video from a former NWA champions dinner that they held. Uh, and Jim Hurd is there reading a statement about preserving the ways of old wrestling. Good luck with that. Let's <laughs> see how that works out for you. Uh, and then but like they got all the all the dudes there like Pat O'Connor and Terry Funk and Dory Funk and Harley yeah. Race and uh Luthez is there uh, Jim so and yeah. uh, Sam Muchnick are the other ones and then uh yeah Terry and uh, Ricky Steamboat are also there I guess sort of the the current crop um maybe just to keep an eye on the old guys I don't know yeah if your youngest guy is Harley Race uh you know that's I actually really liked that part. I thought it was really nice um, to see all those guys just kind of in, you know, in their suits and just clearly having a good time in each other's company. Um, some of those dudes still look massive. Like um, 
I think it was Gene Kaniski and Pat O'Connor look like they yeah. could still tear somebody's head off. <laughs> they were ready to throw down still, I think. Oh boy. Yeah. So that was a, it's a weird, it's a weird way to start your show if you're competing against WrestleMania five, but at the same time, this is on WTBS, the superstation out of Atlanta for free. So I can tell you that I watched this that night when that was on because we weren't paying for no WrestleMania Fiverr or whatever. So yeah, that's uh that's where we're at. It's a this the show is very it's very NWA. Like the opening shots, they're talking to Jim Ross and Michael P.S. Hayes. And I guess they can't afford any lighting. <laughs> it's really like dark. They're yeah, just really in dark. shadows talking to you. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not good. It's not a good look. You can't like they're definitely keeping the lights dim to high that they only have five thousand people in the Superdome. Because um, you're not going to get any uh, gorilla monsoonisms out of them, like eighty thousand people on their feet or anything like that. It's, it's capacity crowd. Capacity crowd. No, it's not. It's not a capacity <laughs> crowd whatsoever. I mean, there's WWF. not even a, there's not even a parking lot jam to leave this event. So WWF never had a show that wasn't a capacity crowd. No, just putting that out there. Um, yeah. Um, Hayes predicts that Flair will take the belt, and he also predicts some tough, rough action tonight. Yeah, and uh, then there's a highlight reel. Yeah, that was weird. I don't know. Like, I was at first like thinking that they were showing us highlights of everything that had already happened because, like, they do weird things with these shows from the late '80s. Uh, but it was just random clips from other shows leading into like the, you know, from World Championship Wrestling on. 705 on Saturday nights and stuff like that. Yeah, there's at least four different matches with uh, Ricky Steamboat in the that montage. Um there's one with him and Flair from Chicago and there's one against uh him some with him and some massive dude, I think maybe the Barbarian. Um I wouldn't swear to that in court, but um yeah, it just like I I was in the same boat. I thought, "Oh, this is the one of those things where they go back afterwards and clip stuff together from the show we were about to watch and then show it up front but no that's not the case there's three matches missing uh from this and it makes and because of that the show is a very clean two hours long so it's very clear that it's kind of like the length of a vhs tape approximately and so uh the whatever version is on the peacock slash wwe network appears to be whatever the vhs of the official release of clash of champions six was and so the three matches that are missing is a uh, Bob Orton versus Dick Murdoch, the varsity club versus the road warriors and Ranger Ross versus the iron Sheik. And then there's also two dark matches that weren't even on TV. I guess sting versus rip Morgan for the world television championship and Lex Luger versus Jack victory for the U S championship. Yeah, that's fine to keep those dark. <laughs> we don't, we don't need those. Yeah. Yeah. So, what a weird little show this is, but it's also highly concentrated goodness. It is very, very good, good show for what you, what you see now it's questionable whether they should have maybe cut some of the other matches to get like at least varsity club versus road warriors in there. This show is concentrated wrestling delight and 
I don't know if I would have preferred to watch this over WrestleMania five. I'm just because this main event is spectacular. So we should start talking about matches so that we can get to it. Yeah. Uh, well, and maybe when we get to the end, we can talk a little bit about if you would have tried to fit that road warriors match, which one, which one would you have uh, swapped out? Because it does, like you said, it's not, there's no filler here. Not everything is a, is a great match, but it's also, yeah, it's like concentrated NWA as well. It's concentrated wrestling, but it's also like, it's, it's NWA in its most distilled form that I've ever seen it anyway. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. So the first one up on the card, the first one we get to see anyway, is the Samoan SWAT team. That's Samu and Fatu. Uh, Fatu is AKA Rikishi. You don't forget. Um, they are managed by Paulie dangerously versus the midnight express, beautiful Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane, uh, managed by Jim Cornette and his tennis racket. This is, this is really the story of Jim Cornette's tennis racket versus Paulie dangerously's telephone. And it is a beautiful match. It's awesome. Yeah. This, it goes just a hair too long, but cause I mean, this match clocks in at 20 minutes, but at the same time, it doesn't stop. There's no slowing down. You know, I, I enjoyed that. They in, introduced the midnight express from the dark side. I was wondering if you'd catch that. <laughs> And boy, are they over. Boy, my God. This Louisiana crowd loves themselves some Midnight Express. And the just the pairing of this match is, is great, too. The, the strong, tough, mean team like the Samoan SWAT team versus a very technical and fast team like the Midnight Express. And it's it, they just put on a hell of a show here. It's a clinic. This is a tag team clinic. Yeah, the Midnight are, are fast and they're really smooth. Like moves just just happen and you're just like oh man look at that um yeah it's a great mix of styles and of the like sort of just types of wrestlers in the ring at the same time um we have have called out the Samoans a bunch of times is just incredibly fun to watch um they just they look so badass they they work tough um there's some good back and forth to start the Samoans get the heat on the the midnight um Samu drops this huge leg drop just stands and jumps up in the air and and brings the leg down on him yeah there's no running. There's no coming off the turnbuckle. He just like vertical leap, uh, and um, and back and forth a little bit. Yeah, this does run a little long. It runs a little over 13 minutes. Um, they could have probably cut a couple minutes off of it, but hey, um, when it's as good, you know, why bother? Yeah, they they push 20 minutes here, and it's a little it's a little much, but uh, there's just enough. Uh, action to keep you hooked in and then there's also just enough tomfoolery out of jim Cornette and paulie dangerously as well to where uh they're involved in the match but they're not drawing the attention away from the match and it's a real nice balance between them um i really enjoyed the bit where uh paulie dangerously gives fatu the uh the phone to get encouragement from some mystery caller in the middle of the match (laughs) yeah that was clever that was really funny. The other one I like is when um, Stan gets in without a tag while the ref's not looking, and then the ref kind of turns around and, and questions him, and Cornick gets up on the apron and sort of coaches the crowd into saying that he did make the tag. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of funny. Yeah, and th- they refer to the Midnight Express having a fast break offense, like a, like it's basketball or hockey or something like that. It's a, Through this whole thing, there's a lot of comparisons to actual sports. Um, not that this isn't like a sport. But, you know, non-rigged athletic 
competition. <laughs> non predetermined. Yeah. Um, the, well, that's one of the, that's yeah. their thing, right? That's NWA's thing. Right? You yeah. Know, this is a, a sports forward presentation. Yeah. Very AWA, but not as dry as the AWA. There's still, there's still shenanigans happening. Yeah. Uh, here. I, I prefer the mix of the NWA at this time period than the AWA or even the WWF for the most part. Um, but there's this great moment where all four of them are in the ring and the Midnight Express whip the Samoans towards each other and they collide and then they start hitting each other like they're maniacs. They, they're just, they're just going to fight whoever's in front of them. It doesn't matter if it's their own partner. Kind of like the savage insanity that, that this team uh, captures and brings to the ring. They're like uh, they're like parrots. If you put a mirror in front of them, they would just attack the mirror. Right. It's it's pretty <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, uh, I thought that was great. It's not necessarily appropriate for these times, but hilarious nonetheless. <laughs> that they that that's how they how they how they work with that. And then uh, they get the hot tag to Bobby Eaton, who then goes for a meeting of the minds between the two Samoans, and he learns that their heads are impenetrable and. That was a bad, bad move. And then uh, everything breaks down from there. And then the phone ends up in the ring and Eaton takes the phone to the head. And that's going to be your three count. Yeah, he's got the pin. The ref is distracted. Um, Fatu comes in with the phone and and brains him and uh, gets rolled over for the pin. So good. Yeah, good dirty finish there. I like that one a lot. Yeah. Uh, And really, you, you know, with those two managers, it had to end that way for one of them you know yeah so i was looking up a little bit and uh it's apparently a continuation of the the feud between paulie dangerously and jim Cornette that started when dangerously brought the uh the ill-advised uh new midnight express um so they're they're still at it here and i it sounds like they're gonna be at it for a little while longer yeah i like the idea of like feuding managers and yeah. them using their teams to settle the scores i i like that concept for an angle as opposed to just like the two teams are angry at each other and they just happen to have managers like yeah it's really it's kind of kind of clever um it made me think a little bit of kind of the sort of long-running angle with heenan and hogan like heenan was basically always trying to get hogan and he just kept bringing up new guys to do it you know yeah and that uh and that feud even uh, transcends companies that that feud follows over in the wcw as well heenan going after after Hogan, but Heenan's mostly doing it from the commentary booth. But yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's like, uh, it's like Superman and uh, Lex Luthor a little bit, you know? Yeah. So anyway, he's the brain. Oh man, it's the parallels. Okay. Never mind. All right. Match number two is, is the great Muda with Gary Hart versus Stephen Casey. Um, Casey is not, there's another Stephen Casey who is, who's older and Irish. Um, but this is the different Steve Casey. So just FYI, this Steve Casey is also dead. He died in 2020. Um, sorry to hear that, but, uh, okay. So watching this one, what blew my mind is that this is 1989. It is now 2023 and the great Muda is having a series of retirement matches this year. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's insane. (laughs) yeah uh with against sting no less yeah. too like who is also uh geriatric at this point 
uh, like all these guys are having these farewell matches. Like Ric Flair just had one, and he's talking about doing another one because he's insane. Please and uh, I think Ricky Steamboat just had one. And yeah. now Great Muda is doing like a farewell tour kind of thing involving Darby Allen and Sting and uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, which uh, led to Great Muda having some very unfortunate words and poor choice of language. Uh, I don't know if did you hear what he said? Yeah, I, so it's some some homophobic slur. I didn't catch the whole context, but yeah, uh, he, he, uh, he said cool. that it was like Shinsuke is basically just said girly. He might even be a f word, um, uh, the cool. f word as in for a homosexual. So yeah, great Muda. I don't know what happened to you there, but anyways, great yeah. Muda versus Jobber Steve Casey. Like, I don't know why you'd put this on this show. But, I don't know either. I mean, the only reason I can think of that it's still on this um, program here is that, you know, Muda was was such a big hit there for yeah. for a bit. And I mean, actually, it lasted quite a while. Um, I mean, and Casey's a, Casey's a unit. Like, he looks good. He works okay. Um, there's then not a whole him, lot going on. Then put him against Sting. Sting's here. He's against Rip Morgan. I'd rather see, just get rid of those two matches and just great Muda versus Sting. Just... Just give it to us now. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, it might just be because they need to get Gary Hart on there, the other manager. Um, but uh, the whole spectacle of Muda coming down is pretty hilarious. He's in that like very elaborate mask. And like Gary Hart is basically leading him to the ring because I am convinced that Muda cannot see out of that mask over his head. It's basically like a black bag with ornament like a... Uh, with embroidery on it. Like there's no way he can see. It reminded me of like a, a dad leading this kid around the, the neighborhood yeah. for trick or treat in like a mask with like the eye holes are all fucked up. And like watch the steps, Jimmy. Watch this <laughs> don't trip over the curb. Careful. Careful. The sidewalk's a little uneven here. <laughs> he looks once he gets the hood off though, he looks great. His makeup looks great. He's he's in fantastic shape. He's got the black uh what do you call him karate pants or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. He uh he kind of blows the mist uh, trick a little early in this one. Right away, I like yeah. the use of it right away though. Like it, like yeah. he used it to, like Steve Casey, like uh tries to ambush Muda, and they talk about how like that's a great approach, but Muda caught him, and he paid the the supreme sacrifice on that one, where like he came at Muda quick, and Muda just hit him with that mist right away, and like it was a hot a good hot start for the for this match, and this match was decent, but. It's still not. It's mainly good because you got to see Great Muda do like all his things. Yeah. Well, and of course, Steve Casey has to face the ultimate indignity, which is wrestled the whole thing with his blonde hair turned green. Yeah. Um, not not cool. Muda is introduced as the Pearl of the Orient, and Jim Ross says that he is the most talented Oriental wrestler he's ever seen. <laughs> Thanks, Jim Ross. Yeah. It was eighty nine. It was. That's a different time. Yeah. I was uh, I was in my first year of college, actually, 1995, before somebody told me that that's not an okay way to refer to people. Well, someone should tell the uh, party supply place, Oriental Trading Post, that they should <laughs> probably consider changing their yeah. name. Because it's, it's yeah. pushing the boundaries, and they're still out there. So, <laughs> so Muda gets in his, uh, all his usual nerve holds. He's going after the... the deltoids and the, the whatever he's going after, the trapezius and... Um, and lots of, uh, you know, lots of just uh, pain-inducing 
kinds of things. Yeah. And, and then, of course, he gets this massive moonsault. Like, Steve Casey is way out there in the middle of the ring. Um, and I kind of didn't think he was going to get it. And he, I'd say he just barely gets it. Yeah, Muda can fly, though. He's got some He's got some aerial abilities there. So, yeah, I like uh, this match was, was fun to watch. But it's fun to watch as to see great Muda versus enhancement talent. And <laughs> yeah. when you're competing against WrestleMania 5, Maybe put the Road Warriors on your show. Just saying. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Or if you're trying to sell VHS tapes, and but you can only have it go two hours, maybe let this one go. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So this match is 8 minutes and 11 seconds, and the Road Warriors one is 11 minutes and 40 seconds. So, you know, that's, that's pretty close. They could have made it fit, I'm reasonably certain. Yeah. <laughs> for um comparison's sake wrestlemania 5 on the other channel has um well of course the main event is hulk hogan uh versus randy savage and the mega powers exploding uh rick rude and ultimate warrior uh heart foundation and uh, versus greg valentine and honky tonk man let's see uh arnie anderson oh the brain busters versus strike force yeah I'm wearing my strike force t-shirt today actually um demolition versus the powers of pain so you know stiff competition just saying yeah there's it's uh there's some talent there's some talent on both sides happening here and uh it's it's interesting to see arn anderson and tolly blanchard over on the other team right now edits moving on yeah so we have uh we get a promo for wrestle war 89 and that spiked banjo logo i love it yes i love it so much some great, great classic clip art where you put a spiked collar around a around a banjo, and you have their logo, and it's uh, it's violent and musical at the same time, and I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, I would, um, I would just put it out there. I would, I would buy a T-shirt with that logo on it, like now. Yeah, for um, sure. If it looked like it was aged and stuff, I may see if I can work on something with like a custom make or something. So it can't still be copyrighted, right? After these years. Uh, it's definitely still copyrighted, <laughs> but is anybody paying attention? I guess is the question. Yeah. I mean, they're going to have a hard time saying that you, 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 uh, hurt them financially. So <laughs> my two custom t-shirts that I printed for you and me, yeah. um, based on a logo that's what 40 years old. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Next up on the card is junkyard dog, new Orleans, uh, hometown boy versus butch reed who's there with his trainer and manager hero matsuda um jyd comes to the ring accompanied by a full-on honest to god second line uh with the band yeah. and the guys with the umbrellas and uh, it's it's incredible it's uh it's new orleans style writ large it's a it's it's actually a really fun moment i like that a lot yeah and uh michael hayes lands probably his most racist line through the entire thing at this point to where he says the guy opened for him him being michael hayes while he was wrestling in nigeria wow yeah yeah he's talking about one of the guys in the second line with an umbrella he's like oh that guy in the front opened for me in nigeria and then uh jim ross starts talking about how they have some great fans in Stamford, connecticut at this point too <laughs> Uh, so we, got the, they are. we have the first the first uh the first straight up attack on the wwf happening here shot across the bow yeah that's great um jr also of course gets in all uh, each man's uh football creds yeah i get that in there 
Junkyard uh, Dog played for the Packers, and Butch Reed played for the Chiefs, uh, apparently. It's important um, for people to know. I'm surprised yeah. he didn't talk about their college dates. No. I'm pretty sure the Junkyard Dog didn't go to college. Hmm. No. I don't. I, I Actually, couldn't have been a walk on to the Packers, could he? <laughs> well, I don't know. Let's look it up. You keep talking. I'll look this up. I also noted that I think this is one of the only matches I can remember that we've ever watched in the show to where both wrestlers and the and the referee are all African-American. It's a it's a striking look for for us to actually notice that while we're uh, watching these things is is a definite thing because you're used to just the referee being some old white guy hopping around the ring, slapping the mat and then. Now we got Teddy Long in the ring as ref with Junkyard Dog and Butch Reed. Like you got, these are three big time dudes in the in the black wrestling history, and yeah. uh, you got them all in the ring. And huge draws, uh, you know, especially for the dog in uh, New Orleans. So he's oh yeah, big business. That, um, and that's my bad. Um, good old Sylvester Ritter played football for Fayetteville State University twice earning honorable mention All-American status and is a member of their Sports Hall of Fame, graduated with a political science degree from there. Wow, could you imagine like debating the the, the merits of socialism with, with Junkyard <laughs> Doug? Well, you know what? It kind of makes sense because, uh, you know, in those previous events, he's been talking a lot about like, you know, racial class warfare kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, like he's and been, uh, yeah. the only person they ever been told to bow down to is the man above. Right. Yeah. The uh. This. Wow. I'm surprised. And so, well, I feel bad now. I, my apologies to the Ritter family for. He just. He doesn't seem like. Uh, I think you know when you lead with uh, like headbutts as like your main move. Yeah. I just. I tend to. Shouldn't have done that. My bad. I bet you he's probably the only player from Fayetteville State to ever get drafted into the NFL. I looked that up too while we keep talking. Oh uh, man, you're going to be forever researching that, man. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that's a that's a interesting. I wonder uh, what what scout rolled through Fayetteville one yeah, day right? and just happened to see see uh, see a young Sylvester Ritter barking at his opponents. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Richard Medlin, former NFL player, huh? played College of Fayetteville State. Uh, he was Patriot, Dolphin, Falcon. <laughs> That's the only. Oh, Chris Armstrong, who's uh, played for the CFL. Who knew that Fayetteville State was a hotbed of NFL talent? Yeah. Daryl Armstrong, professional uh, basketball player and current assistant coach with the Mavericks. That's not football, but. It's still an athlete, athlete yeah. on the professional level. There's, um, I'm gonna go ahead and say, are they even Division One? Oh, I can't imagine they are. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say that uh, that good old Mr. Ritter is their most famous alum. Yeah, probably. It's a, a public historically black university, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Look how, yeah. look how educational this uh, podcast I know. is. We're learning, we're learning so much here. Um, Sorry, let's get back to. But because the uh, the I don't know if it's because the the two combatants are big, or if it's because they're black. Um, uh, Jr. constantly says that they're landing and throwing big soup bones. <laughs> so I don't know why that is a thing. I don't know why. Like, would he say that uh, uh, Wahoo McDaniel was throwing big soup bones or something like that? Like, I don't know. It's weird language 
things happening here because Michael Hayes also repeatedly calls Junkyard Dog boy through the match as well. Like it's yeah. <laughs> that's unfortunate. Yeah, this is a this is a rough rough match to watch. Um, it's while at the same time it seems very progressive, it's also the commentary is very backwards. Yeah, you may want to just turn the commentary off on this one. Yeah. <laughs> just watch the action. And yeah, these two are huge. Um, they do a lot of shoulder blocks. There's a lot of no-selling. Um, JYD eventually gets around to his crawling headbutt, which, of course, we love. Butch Reed comes off with a, a beauty of a flying shoulder tackle. Oh, uh, man. Yeah. That almost gets the win, but JYD gets his foot on the ropes. Yeah, and then uh, Butch goes charging at JYD again. And uh, he collides with uh, Hito Matsuda, who's his ringside with him. And he's stunned, and Junkyard Dog uh, rolls him up for the pin. And we got a big old win for for Thump himself there. Yeah, good win for the dog. Good win for New Orleans. And uh, JR reminds us that this match was sanctioned by the Athletic Commission because we're real wrestlers. <laughs> Shots fired, JR. Yeah, JR's coming out hot now. Talking to you, you Yankees. Um, so they advertise, they tell us that next up is Cowboy Bob Orton with Gary Hart versus Dick Murdoch. Um, and this is one of the mis- the missing matches. Um, but there is, like, right as we go to the break, there's a slow-mo video of Murdoch elbowing somebody. <laughs> so yeah. I have to feel like that pretty much sums up most of what happened in that match. Yeah, considering that match is only 33 seconds, according to Wikipedia, I can't imagine a lot happened with it. There's also a really big sign that says, WTBS NWA, don't worry, be happy. You're, spelled wrong, Y-O-U-R, number one. And they show that several times throughout the night, actually. Yeah, I don't think you're number one if you got the Superdome and only 5,300 people there in WrestleMania 5 with Macho Man and Hulk Hogan are on pay-per-view crushing you well they they like to think positive yeah don't worry be happy (laughs) (laughs) the thing is though that jr really hypes up this dick murdoch versus bob orton match and if you think they weren't going to show it you just cut that out you don't need to you don't need to be like having you don't need to keep jr going this next match it's gonna it's gonna be a hard-hitting doozy it's gonna be a great one you're not gonna want to miss it bob orton versus dick murdoch and then nothing the fade out and then it comes back and it's and it's uh kevin sullivan and dan spivey versus eddie gilbert and rick steiner weird like i actually rewound it at this point because i was like wait a minute like i just kind of like accepted it for a while and i was like wait a minute this isn't the match that jr said was next did i miss something no it's just not there there's and then finally i looked it up and there's two other matches that aren't there as well. The varsity club versus road warriors and Ranger Ross versus iron Sheik. And honestly, the only thing that we're really missing out of this is that it turns out Teddy long is a dirty ref and he turns heel and mm. becomes a manager. Not cool player. Not cool player. Yeah, I had the same uh, experience you did. Like, so I watched this match. I watched this uh, special twice, um, and the first time I just watched it, I didn't. Usually, what happens is I pull up my little notes and I pull up the Wikipedia page, and I have one on one side and one on the other, and I'm sort of like uh, writing down, you know, what I'm what I'm seeing, what I'm noticing, that kind of thing. But the first time I watched, I just kind of went through it. Um, so when I went back to watch it a second time, 
I started looking at the Wikipedia entry and I'm like seeing all these matches. I'm like, I don't remember this at all. <laughs> like, yeah. Also, how is this only two hours? This thing, it should did definitely I, be three. Given I all these matches. Did I? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Right. Did I black out? <laughs> I mean, I will, I will rep. Uh, I will. What I want to say, I will cop to not always like paying the most attention when things get kind of boring, you know, I'm like, well, let's, let's see what's happening on the internet or let's, let's see if I can win another level of candy crush. But, um, I wouldn't necessarily miss like three or four matches in a row. Um, but anyway, no, so I didn't miss them. So I'm, I'm glad for that. No. Um, and, um, you know what, Teddy long for that player, you got to fight the undertaker. That's... <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe they promoted him after all of that, you know, I know what a jerk. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, we have seen, um, Dr. Death and, uh, go up against the road warriors several times on some of these cards. So, um, you know, I'm always sad to miss a road warriors match, but it's probably not, not the end of the world here. I'm more disappointed that like Mike Rotunda's in that match. I would yeah. like to see Mike Rotunda. And so we come back from the fade to black to, uh, Kevin Sullivan and Dan Spivey versus Eddie Gilbert and Rick Steiner. And, uh, Kevin Sullivan is introduced being from Singapore. That's weird. Yeah. And this is just an interesting combo of folks all thrown together for a match, I thought. Um, I mean, I know Dan Spivey and Kevin Sullivan are part of the Varsity Club, but the other half. Uh, Eddie Gilbert and Rick Steiner. Where's Scott? I want. Where's Scott at? Damn it. Where's Scott Steiner? Get his brother out here. I'd rather watch that. Yeah, very strange. Um, yeah, it's it's also interesting that with the with this recording that they keep this match. So this match is for the... TV for the TV tag titles, right? Or is it just the U.S. Uh, this tag is titles? the U.S. tag titles, right? So the, it's the U.S. tag TV. titles, and they cut the world tag title match. Yeah. That's weird. It's a choice. Yeah. It's definitely a choice. <laughs> uh, and especially cutting out the Road Warriors, who are the most over tag team besides the Midnight Express at this point, probably. Um. Anyways, this match. Uh. <laughs> it's I, I don't know where to go with it you know it's kind of a it's kind of a hot mess most of it yeah, it's not great no uh, not a, yeah not a whole lot happens it's um 11 no that's the wrong match hold it's on not even that long it's three it's, minutes almost four minutes um yeah and i mean the the biggest thing that happens is missy hyatt comes up and hits somebody with her purse and the varsity club gets the win and then the yeah. The bad guys beat up Eddie Gilbert after the fact and bust open his eye. And then Rick finally gets a chair and comes chase him off. But it's not a folding chair. No, it's like a weird plastic office chair. Thing <laughs> he's chasing, chasing varsity club with. Yeah. Uh, like fixed sled legs. Like you can't, yeah. you can't swing those. No, it just looks like that. You can't gimmick it either. It's not going to, it's not going to, it's just, you're it's just going to hurt somebody with that for real. There, Dan Spivey has this, incredibly mean looking gut wrench suplex that he does to Eddie Gilbert, where like you can tell that Eddie actually didn't like jump to help him at all. He just like grabbed him around the waist and like flung him over because Dan Spivey is a monster of a man and very strong. Yeah. I got mixed up earlier. We were talking because I thought he's so huge. I was like, Oh, that's uh well, Barry Windham was on this show. Right. And like, no, no, that's, that was just Dan Spivey. Yeah. They're being it's stupid tall. He's incredibly impressive in this match. He does a flying clothesline that like he just comes bouncing off the ropes and flying through the air. Very 
undertakerish kind of kind of maneuver. It's very impressive, and uh, but then Steiner also has some great stuff where he has a huge power slam that he does on Kevin Sullivan. That's just shivers down your spine kind of impact. But yeah, this has a this is a weird finish where Missy Hyatt hits uh, hits Kevin Sullivan in the boiler with the purse and. He gets rolled up in the ring, and then the Steiners get beat. The Steiner and uh, and uh, Eddie get beat down, and then you know Eddie or or Rick eventually gets that weird chair and <laughs> fights him off. Great petition to uh, petition to make all chairs in wrestling one of those weird chairs that'll take away all chair shots. That'll be yeah. sad. Ken Shamrock uh, may still be alive today. Yeah. I think he still is, but he's oh, wait. Never mind. drinking through a drink, drinking his meals through a straw or something. <laughs> like he's got to speak and say or something. All right, let's uh, let's. Are we ready for the main event? Oh my god, yeah. So, yeah. And so uh, again, this is this is basically a one show card, and it's a two hour VHS or Peacock special uh, condensed to um, well the and half of it is this match, and it yeah. is. Definitely 55 worked. minutes people 50 like hit the bathroom before you know pause <laughs> it hit the toilet refill your water get some more get some more candy whatever you need but you uh stretch you, you might want to stretch a little bit but because this match is going to exhaust you oh my god uh so basically the previous match ends and it goes to black that's where one of the rare commercials. So Clash of the Champions also was very well known for uh, maybe one or two commercial breaks through the whole like two to three hour event. Uh, that's that's what they decided and how they would compete. Uh, Ted Turner and TBS would barely do any any commercials during it. So we come back from what was a commercial break to just Ric Flair's music hitting cold coming out of the commercial. There's no no Jim Ross talk up or anything like that. Just Ric Flair's music. And then in really small laser projected letters uh, behind him, uh, they just spell out his name, Ric Flair, and they spell it with a K. <laughs> oh, he looks incredible yeah. though. He's got his black robe on. Uh, he just, he looks amazing. He does his, his usual walk. It's got like four ladies accompanying him down to the of ring course. this time. Not like it. 20 like his whole harem <laughs> yeah and this is um like just a reminder this is this is their second match the first one happened uh in february of the same year february of 89 at the chai town rumble and then they got back together here this is early april and then they would come back together in may i believe for the the final match of their trilogy at the wrestle war with the spiked banjo so I'm very excited because Ricky Steamboat's chubby baby is with him. <laughs> he always brings his wife and his little kid to the ring at this at this point. Um, this one, this one's cranked up a notch. His his kid is in a small little dragon Halloween costume with an oversized dragon head mask, and it is quite adorable. And his wife is in a wedding dress. Uh, yeah, I wasn't sure what was going on. It's a very it's a white evening gown ish kind of thing, but it has a train and it has like poofy shoulders. It's very eighties. It's an eighties look. It looks like a, a wedding dress. It's, it's gotta be a wedding dress. She's married to amazing wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
I would even uh, venture to say that uh, Ricky's chubby baby in the dragon costume is totes adorbs. Totes adorbs. He is totes adorbs. <laughs> little little Ricky is very totes yeah. and adorbs. So um, top. As our kid would say, uh, so cute. He's so cute. <laughs> that is pretty cute. You guys should do a so top episode on the best appearances of Ricky's chubby baby. Uh, <laughs> that would be an awesome uh, episode. I don't think the wife's going to go for that. Mm. Um, All right. I'll work on it. Let me know if I can. Uh, yeah, I'll keep prodding. Yeah, I think I, I do what can happen. So Ricky's music here is is dubbed out. I'm pretty sure because uh, I think at this time Ricky Steamboat in WCW uh, is coming out to Eye of the Tiger because all good guy wrestlers use Eye of the Tiger as their theme song in the 80s. But that is dubbed out, and and they uh, just put in some generic music. They don't even like bother putting in like the Ricky Steamboat music that they actually own the rights to. Um, so it's just some generic kind of like attempt to sound like serious by uh, what's a uh, is that Alan Parsons project that like the Bulls come out to the serious <laughs> yeah because that's what Ricky Steamboat uses in WWF at this time period. So we've got the entrances; they're out there. Uh, we got all the classic, you know, preps of uh, pre-match preps, the shakedowns, the, the eye contact, and, uh, they both just look at like top peak physical shape. Yeah, they look amazing. And I think, you know, one of the things that's really compelling about these two together is that they, they look like opposites, you know, like Ricky's, um, sort of got the dark hair and he's usually wearing, um, tights as opposed to trunks and you know rick of course is his golden mane and is usually wearing the um the trunks and you know here ricky's wearing the white tights and flair has the black trunks so like just everything about him is is set up as you know as foils as opposites um and so that's it just makes a really uh interesting look um the other nice thing about this match is that Terry Funk joins JR on commentary. So we get a little mm. bit of a break from uh, purely shitty Michael Hayes. Um, I loved Terry Funk on the mic great. for this match. He's oh my great. God. He is, he, he's, he's calling things. He's, 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 he's speaking as like a former champion and wrestler too so he's got a lot of the gorilla monsoon kind of things like telling you that's gonna hurt because of this or like this is if i were him this is what i would be doing this is the next move i bet you a pinfall is going to happen in the next 30 seconds or so because of this blah 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 so yeah this is um we forgot to mention that this is a two out of three pinfall match this is an old school champion world championship match so you have it's best two out of three after a pinfall, there's like a one minute break and then the match resumes. Um, it's very, it's approached in such a very professional, legitimate athletic competition style. Um, and these guys, they just, once it starts, it doesn't stop. They really go all out. Yeah. So they start off and they're, they're uh they're they're jostling for position and flair uh they get backed into the into the corner and like uh the ref calls for the break and flair pushes ricky a little bit and ricky steamboat now that he's champion he's got some confidence behind him and he lands a big old paintbrush of a slap across 
Ric Flair's face. And you can see the shock on Flair's face that he can't believe that, 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 you know, Steamboat, he's not messing around. He's the champion. He's got a little bit of leverage on his side. He's got a little bit of comp now real confidence happening. And he's not going to take the intimidation by Flair. He's not going to take the, the woo in the face. And he's not going to take the little, little shoves at the, at the, at the breaks and stuff like that. So, uh, that immediately just ramps the tension up to 11 in this match. And it stays there and maybe even pushes to like 15 at some point during, during this match. It's incredible. But I think one of the things that really helps you and I talked a little bit about this is how, how great each man is at selling when the other is on offense. You know, they really make you believe that everything that's happening is, is real. It's painful. It's having a cumulative effect on them as they go through. Um, Flair is of course doing his, his hollering and Oh God, Oh God. During when he's, yeah. when it's his yeah. turn to sell, which is awesome. Um, Steamboat sort of takes his time, kind of, he stays on top for most of, uh, you know, a, a good stretch of the start of the match um, before um, before Flair kind of starts to get some uh, offense of his own. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's not like, it's not like they circle each other for 15 minutes before anything happens. They just, they just get right to it and they really don't yeah. stop like trading moves. Um, but the difference between this and like a AEW people taking turns, doing shit to each other is that every move sort of makes sense and flows into the next one and continues to build and build and build. It's not like, Oh, we're going just straight to the, uh, I don't know, power bomb off the top rope. You know, it's like, yeah. Canadian destroyer into super kick into uh, Indian, Indian death lock on a table, like kind of stuff. Like there's arm drags, there's mat grappling, there's, there's jockeying for positions and then they're stretching and and pulling and then just like in their other matches that we've seen they kind of equal up in the technical wrestling stuff and eventually just break down the hit in each other and uh those moments are exciting like you can feel the tension like it's a it's like a like a waves of of going from technical wrestling and then uh, ebbing but down into slaps and chops and punches and strikes and then kicks and then one person finally kind of stumbles from the shots and that's the person that that ends up being on the bottom for the next few minutes in the in the submission holds and stuff like that and then they get a reverse and then they start striking again and then they come back and then the other person is now uh pulled down and the exchange of chops and punches and stuff are stiff. <laughs> this is probably their stiffest of the matches that we watch. These chops are digging in deep into their chest. Uh, Steamboat is landing these huge overhand closed fist clubs to Flair's back that you can see like Flair's skin rippling from the shots and you can hear them like echoing through his chest. Like it's these guys are fighting and um, there's this a, a certain certain balances happening in this match to where you can feel that flair has lost some of his confidence after the shy town rumble lost to steamboat and steamboat is feeling it. He is on top of the world right now and he's got 
he's got some confidence and he feels like things are in his favor. And so it's a totally different type of match than that first match. Yeah. There's a couple of moves from this first, from before the first fall here that I, uh, that I flagged. There's one. So Flair's doing his, his thing where he's on the corner in the corner. He's begging for mercy. You know, he's down on his knees. Uh, Ricky's like, kind of takes a step or two back and Flair calls for the ref. He's like, ref, come here. And when, as the ref starts to take a couple of steps, Ricky kind of follows and Flair just like hauls off and kicks him in the gut, which is actually kind of a funny, like yeah. dastardly heel moment. Right. Um, Ricky does this really nice baseball slide between Flair's legs at one point. Uh, he puts Flair in this sort of uh, front face lock and he like raises his legs up in yeah. the air, like with just his core muscles, I guess, and then drops yeah. them back down. Um, that looks, it looks cool as hell. It looks like the, the amazing thing about that is like, so he, he, when he flips up in the air, Flair ups his vocalization to make you think that's making the move worse on him. And then whenever Steamboat drops down, he reacts. Flair then reacts by kicking himself up in the air as kind of like a reaction to like the intensity and the, and the change of angle of the hold on his neck. Uh, it's a, it's like, they're like a seesaw back and forth and it's incredible to watch. Yeah. You could, uh, you could show it in your physics class and look, look, equal and opposite reactions, kids. Yeah. So, and there's, um, there's a nice exchange of chops in the corner and Flair takes like three steps out of the corner and just does this beautiful face bump. Kills me every time. He walks nearly clear across the ring. Yeah. It's so incredible. <laughs> you could tell that he didn't tell Steamboat he was going to do it because like Steamboat's like chasing him. <laughs> and then he just flops. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Um, and then, and one more moment to, to flag here. He flare then like he takes a breather, right? He's, he's, he can't, uh, you know, he just, he just needs to, to collect himself. So he kind of wanders outside of the ring for a little bit while the ref counts. And as soon as he does, the trash just flies, uh, across from the crowd yeah the trash flying was incredible um <laughs> this time. crowd is this crowd is worked up big time into this match these guys I get it they're playing the crowd like a like a fine-tuned stradivarius they're just killing people there's this moment where ricky uh ricky steamboat drops about 15 elbows in a row on rick flair's leg and every single one of them flares like ah oh god oh oh Oh, like it's almost, it's almost too much, but it's not. Um, and Terry Funk reminds us that this is the most important match in wrestling for the biggest title in pro wrestling. So another little, little jab at the, uh, WWF there and, uh, at WrestleMania five that, uh, this is more important than Macho Man versus Hogan. Mm, okay uh and uh there's i don't know did you see the two women in the front row kind of off to the left i don't think i noticed maybe i thought that they were wearing raccoon skin caps but it's not it's their hair <laughs> go back go back and look oh, no. for them okay they're right in the front row they have some of the most glorious, huge eighties hair you'll ever see in your life. I thought one of them had like a fur coat draped over her head. Like, no, it's this huge. And it's just her hair. It's incredible. It was distracting for a moment for, for a part of this match for me. 
I, cause I just can't, I can't <laughs> ignore that stuff. And, uh, that's funny. Yeah. And so, uh, and then suddenly flair goes for the figure four, right? And, uh, this is the first fall flair, flair locks in, goes for the figure four steamboat rolls him up in the cradle, but flair rocks the cradling back into his own pin and gets the first fall and a huge chorus of booze. Yeah. No one is happy with that. That was an awesome. I mean, that I, that's perfect. Honestly, like to have Ricky, most, I'd say Ricky was on top, maybe like 70, 30 in that, that opening like segment of the match. Right. And then to have the heel, just like pull a fast one on him, like and just roll him up like that. Yeah. Um, this is awesome. Yeah. 19 and a half minutes for that first fall. They take a little break. Um, and steamboat steamboat jumps right back into it. He is not putting up with Rick shit after that no. first one. I like, I like the break. Cause one, I needed the break as well. Like, Oh my God, these guys, 20 minutes. Like <laughs> I need a snack nonstop. Non. I needed to like go outside, catch a breath, remind myself where I exist in the world. No. <laughs> Giving flair the first fall too also made a lot of sense too, because like steamboat was kind of fighting with a chip on his shoulder. Flair was fighting from underneath most of the time. Now they're dead. Even Ricky's confidence is shook a little bit, but he's more motivated. Flair feels like he's getting a little bit of his mojo back because he just, he just snuck one in. They're now even like, even though like Flair is winning by one pin, this momentum wise, they're now even. And now you're like, the pendulum is dead center. Where, which way is it going to go now? Yeah. Well, and it puts Ricky at a little bit of a disadvantage too, right? He can't take another fall. He's got to, He's got to get serious. If this is the time, that's a put up or shut up, right? He's got to right. do it. So, um, and there's, you know, this match, it just keeps going. Um, Rick tries his, his big running knee drop, but steam gets steamboat gets out of the way. And, uh, of course, Flair smashes his knee into the canvas. And then there's a, not too long after that, there's a part where, uh, Flair's like lying on his back on the mat and Ricky like runs and hits the ropes, but then comes back and just stops at Rick's legs and just grabs him and just flips him over into a Boston crab, like all in like one yeah. movement. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. I love it. And, uh, flares, flares emoting again. He's like, Oh God, Oh God. Uh, and he crawls. So this is an interesting touch. He crawls over to the ropes and gets his head under the ropes, but doesn't touch the ropes. Um, which is a little bit of uh, foreshadowing for later. Yeah, there's a beautiful bridge out. Ricky Steamboat bridges out of a pen, and it is the a thing of beauty. Like nowadays, it's so like cliche to see used, but ne- but then I, I bet this could possibly be like one of the first ones ever on on make a big time television show. Uh, and it wasn't the first kick out in the pen attempt either. Uh, Flair had Ricky, uh, Ricky like kicks his shoulder up a little bit and then uh flair pushes it back down and then that's when ricky bridges out so like it's part of the story it's part of the motion as opposed to just like a very planned spot and then they end up outside of the ring and they're going at it and this is where jim ross tells us that according to the louisiana uh athletic commission the winner of the first fall in a two out of three falls match wins the title i what i didn't oh if they both get disqualified i guess maybe but he didn't put that in there no so Hmm. i'm assuming that like 
if if it's a double count out or something like that is what he's hinting at, then if they both get counted out, then that would be two to one Ric Flair. And so Flair would take the title. Yeah. Um, Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Jim Ross is just too too busy burning with hatred for the WWF. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing that he doesn't just like Vince McMahon can burn in hell at some point. Yeah. Well, he's a professional. <laughs> you know, he's a professional. Yeah. Yeah. So, I actually kind of stopped taking notes at about this point um, because I was just kind of captivated. <laughs> and I just uh, kind of yeah. went all the way to the end. The second the second fall comes pretty quick here now. Uh, Flair uh sells this beautiful superplex that he takes from the top rope by Ricky like it's an incredible sell sell job he bounces off that mat like a like a basketball and then like grabs at his back and is like ah god and then like JR is complimenting it you know just like he like we get later in Monday Night Raw boosting Stone Cold's character JR starts talking about how Ric Flair was in the plane crash and how much can a person recover from an injury like that? It doesn't matter how how much and how strong he is or how well he seems to have come back, that if you're going to take damage like that to your back, you're not going to last very long. Yeah, that's a good touch, kind of mixing in a little bit of real life, you know, that the fans would have known about from the magazines and the news, right? And like uh, using it to sell what's going on in the ring. It's smart. Yeah. And then... uh Ricky hoists Ric Flair up into the double chicken wing, double as they're calling wing. it. Yeah, um, basically, it's it's a move where Ricky locks both of Flair's arms behind his back under the shoulder and lifts him in the air. <laughs> yeah. It cannot be comfortable. No, <laughs> but I also to... I don't see how you can't just wiggle out of it enough. <laughs> well. Let's not uh, let's not get carried away. No, um, with logic. But I I did wonder a little bit whether the primary stress is on the shoulders or on the elbows, or if it's just, they both just hurt. <laughs> it, it's not comfortable, and like Flair is screaming, bloody murder. You would have thought that someone just like stabbed him in the stomach or something, and he submits. I was like, what? That's the second fall. Oh my god. Yeah, that was a weird one. Talking. And because like I had seen several sources that had, that had indicated that the second fall was a disqualification that Flair got disqualified on the second fall. And so I was like looking for that and it, it didn't happen. <laughs> mm. Like, oh, so those sources are just wrong. You can't what, trust the Internet. Well, I wonder what they were talking about. Maybe there's maybe there's another match where that happens. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Weird. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, the chicken wing, I guess the, the other sort of famous person to use it that we've seen is Bob Backlund, you know, but even he doesn't usually go for the double, does he? he usually just No, he's he's just more of like a cross face chicken wing on the mat. He's a, yeah, he's a single wing guy. Yeah. You know, he likes a wing and a breast. And the, <laughs> Ricky wants Ricky wants both wings. Yeah. How do you like the wings? Drums yeah. are flats, though. You just have the, the whole the whole wing. What's wrong with the whole wing? Like. Well, Why are you ripping them up and losing <laughs> money? I don't know. Because I'm a sucker. You got to get the wing boxes in Baltimore, man. That that was yeah. the stuff there. Two, three wings and some fries in a in a cardboard box, <laughs> and a half and half. You're looking good. Mm, yummy. It's a good dinner. 
So that fall was at 34, almost 35 minutes. And as we know, this whole thing goes 55 minutes. So now we've got another 20 minutes to go for this third fall. I don't know how these guys do this. And you don't even, you don't feel it. You don't realize. Mm -mm. Like they make the 10 minute call at one point over the PA. And I'm like, I thought this match started 30 seconds ago. Like I, and uh, Terry Funk is talking about that. Like how he's, he can't imagine, he can't believe that this match has already gone that long. It doesn't feel like it, but like he just, like this, this feels like a, a, a 15 minute point and but they're 40 minutes into this match yeah <laughs> yeah and they're still they're still going and they hardly even slow down i mean oh both guys are supposed to be hurt at this point um i'd say flair is getting the worst of a lot of these exchanges right so he's supposed to be hurt a little bit more but um it's not like he's limping around the ring that much he's he's just they're just going at it yeah and then uh at 40 minutes, Flair does the corner flip to the outside of the like, <laughs> like he's like he's still fresh. Yeah, like like he does he does his classic corner flip spot, and then he goes running along the side like a maniac, as he used to do when doing that spot, and he eats a nasty clothesline from Ricky Steamboat doing that, and he goes face down onto the apron, which everybody knows is the hardest part of the ring. <laughs> Everybody knows that, and he lays there like he's dead. Yeah, Ricky has Ricky has some of the best clotheslines. Uh, I love it. Ricky he, Steamboat has some of the best of everything. Well, that's true. He does a great figure four earlier in this match. Yeah, he's got this beautiful flying chop from the top rope, and like rivals Macho Man in the amount of air that he gets on it. Uh, best arm drag takedowns for sure. The arm drag takedowns the double karate chops yeah they're all this like everything is such beautiful form and like it's very it almost feels like he does wrestling moves in front of a mirror yeah so that he like like how ballerinas can do like practice in front of mirrors so that they can see every minute detail of the movement that they're doing it's almost like he does that but with professional wrestling no he's he's flawless honestly um drop kicks i've never i've never seen him with a drop kick they're always, no. they're always spot on. I mean, honestly, there's a lot of uh, things about him that make him like the perfect opponent for, for Flair. You know, not just the, not just the look as I was talking about earlier, um, and not just sort of the persona too. You know, sort of the consummate good guy, family family man, uh, never turned heel versus the, you know, just ultimate heel, um, but just uh, the you know pure ability to to work uh, and to to hang, you know, with somebody like Flair and maybe even outpace Flair occasionally. Um, I think if you want, if you want a really good heel, you've got to have, uh, well, and vice versa, you've got to have a face who can like put him through all of the paces, you know? Right. You need that like purity so that you can see how dirty Ric Flair is, you know? Um, and it's, this is Ricky Steamboat is absolutely incredible. And kind of like it's kind of like how you got that same feeling when you watched uh, Tito Santana versus Ric Flair. Tito was the consummate face and is like always, always the good guy, always fighting the good fight. And you put him against someone like Ric Flair, who's I wouldn't say so. Ric Flair calls himself the dirtiest player in the game at this time, but I wouldn't call him just like he's not just an asshole. 
he's he's an asshole you wish you were right you wish you were rick flair with the thirty thousand dollar rolex and mm-hmm. the five thousand dollar suits custom made by blah 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 in in fayette north carolina you know you, <laughs> and the jet flying right. and limousine riding Right. Uh, and you wish you were Space Mountain, the <laughs> oldest ride with the longest line. Like you wish you were that guy. Kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing. Right. You hate him because you want to be him, not yeah. you hate him because he's just a jerk to you, like MJF or yeah, or something like that. Someone of that caliber. Like you you it's not yeah. because he's mean, it's because he's so good. You wish you were like that. And he knows it, right? And, and he's not right. hum- he's not humble about it. He's the exact opposite. He's no. like, look, I'm amazing. He doesn't even necessarily say you suck. He's just like, I'm amazing. And you yeah. will never be like this. Right. I mean, well, that's the that's the art of the old heel promo to where you actually talk up your opponent, but in a negative way. Like that's how that's how promos used to work, and that's how they would build each other, is that they might be so like flair would say like you know ricky you might be good but you're not wheeling and de-. like like he's like he would actually say that ricky steamboat is good you know just and you don't have that kind of thing anymore now in mjf's press conference after aew revolution he talks he talks up daniel bryan or sorry brian danielson yeah or whatever his name is i don't know anymore uh but brian branson yeah, Brian, is it Dan? Is it Daniel Bryanson? Brian Danielson? Daniel Bryan? It's Brian Danny, Daniel? It's Danny Danielson? Dan, Danny Danielson? Uh, Danny Davis? Is is it a ref? Uh, but so he talks him up, but also talks shit about him at the same time, and that's that's where that's where a lot of the promos these days fall short. Anyways, we're. 40 minutes into Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat. Flair is doing his classic begs and there's it, it this match is a horse race. They're back and forth and they're pacing with each other and it's just you don't know who's going to win unless you look at the Wikipedia page first. No, it's uh, it's right up to the end. It's it could be either man's thing. And cuz I mean Flair locks in the figure 4 in the middle of the ring and you're like, "Oh. Oh, poor Ricky." Oh, Ricky, shit. this it's is over. it. Yeah. This is it. Ricky can't reach the ropes, and they start slapping each other while locked in the figure four. Ricky Steamboat is pulling himself up and crunches, screaming in Flair's face in pain, and then slapping him. <laughs> and then Flair slaps him back, and they start slapping back and forth. And you can't breathe during it. I love you, that exchange so much. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That's that's hot and, stuff. Like Yeah, and he finally gets Flair to break it uh from the from the slap exchange and then uh Steamboat lands this vicious chop that just sounds like a baseball bat cracking a four hundred footer like off of off of Flair's chest and it's just mm. And man, and then they start getting real close pinfalls, like split second kickouts, like false finishes. They're incredible. I I've never seen false finishes that close to where like you're like, wait a minute, that had to be that had to be three. That had to be no. Oh my god, this is insane. 
the finish of this match is just so intense. So the there's another double chicken wing attempt uh, that doesn't happen this time. Um, Flair falls on top of Steamboat though, uh, and you can see that like both guys' shoulders are down, and the ref gets in there to count, um, and he's he's counting on both men basically, right? Um, but like right at the very end, Steamboat gets his left shoulder up, and that third count fall. Uh, hand comes down. Um, so Flair's shoulder is still down. Ricky's is up and that gets Ricky the match, but video replay. Flair's foot is on the rope. It's under the rope. I think right under it's, it's under the rope, but it's touching the rope under the okay. rope. So like he's hooked it from the bottom. All right. Yeah. Just barely kind of in the same way that his head was under earlier, um, causing the break. Even he wasn't though touching. Um, so that's the, um, that's the gripe, you know, that, that lets him get that last rematch. They've had two rematches now, um, or they've had two matches now. Uh, and he, he, he has some room to, to bitch about the result of this one and get one more, which of course is coming up at the wrestle war 89. So let's just talk for a second about they have wrestled for 55 minutes and they land in the perfect blocking all three of them. The ref forget the ref's been in there too, for 55 minutes running around, dropping down for pens and bouncing around, moving around, and they land in the perfect spots to get the foot under the rope. The ref is in the perfect angle to where he cannot see it. The count of three, the fans go crazy because Steamboat pulls out what looked like wasn't going to be a win for him. He was locked in that figure four in the middle of the ring. Flair is now pulling out dirty pins. He goes for a pin by like rolling steamboat up and then popping his legs up onto the, onto the ropes for leverage. But the ref catches him just in the nick of time. And like steamboat hits flare of the flying headbutt out of nowhere, which I've never seen something like that, by the way. So he sends flare into the ropes. He then bounces off the ropes himself and he launches himself like a missile to land a headbutt. And then he lands the flying cross body from the top rope. And this is when we get the line uh, from Jim Ross that they have wrestled for 50 minutes, not come out to music and pose. So another, <laughs> another, another little uh, punch to the kidneys of the WWF there. God damn it, JR. You know, and then Steamboat blocks an atomic drop. And then Steamboat lands what Jim Ross calls a Japanese suplex. I'm I, not sure yeah, what, that what that was, was either, but yeah. okay. And then uh, Flair jumps from the top rope and goes to the top rope in his classic fashion and gets caught and gets thrown like huge air. 55 minutes, Ric Flair flies <laughs> through the air, 10 feet in the air, thrown and lands flat on his back. And then that's when the pin and then uh, Steamboat goes for the for the double chicken wing again and his knee gives out because of how long he had been in the figure four. And uh, that's when they land in that perfect pinning predicament to line everything up for a total masterpiece of a finish for a match. Yeah. It's really incredible to have the energy to even like remember the end that you're supposed to do, let alone get your body there in the right position and make it all work on camera. They didn't have to like, pull a Michael Cole and tell us that something happened that didn't actually happen. They, they just, they just did it like perfectly. No. Like 
it's unbelievable. And it would be unbelievable if it were anybody else uh, except these two guys. But we just we know how good they are. Um, this is our third time watching them together have matches of equal um, just awesomeness. And, and so and just, I would watch 20 more of them. <laughs> I would too. Um, I'm really glad that we kind of took this this run back through these older shows it took us a little while to get through all three of them but you know every one of them was was totally worth it um i think i would i would probably put this one at the top uh of the three i don't know what do you think yeah i think i would do two three one okay so clash six then wrestle war 89 then shot yeah. rumble it was the wrestle war 89 one where Ricky Steamboat climbs the ropes in the middle of the ropes. <laughs> that's right. That's, I know and that's one of your does that as a, And he does that as a celebration in this match. Like he went after he wins, he climbs to the second rope in the middle of the ropes and just stands there like no problem celebrating. Somebody probably uh, saw him do that and be like, oh, you should do that during the match next time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I should do that. You just do that. <laughs> and then, uh, so after all this, Ricky has to go and talk to Jim Ross in a promo. And uh, Ricky is real key, real low key. I want to thank TBS and the, and the fans of of mine and the fans of Ric Flair's. I know they're out there. I know, I know you exist. And uh, then Jim Ross comes in like, now there's a, there's an argument that the pinfall wasn't legitimate, blah, 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 blah. And then they start analyzing the finish of this match. Like it's the freaking Zabruder film. Like Flair's leg went up and to the left. <laughs> like, like it's, and then uh, Ricky says, well, if I was Ric Flair, I would get my lawyer. And uh, I hate to say it, but after seeing this footage and seeing the film, I think, Mr. Flair has a legitimate complaint. Whoa. <laughs> Such a nice guy. Whoa. Such Whoa, a nice Ricky. guy. Whoa. Whoa. Calm down. <laughs> Calm down, man. He's so, Everything's all great. He can't lie. Him. He can't. He's like a young George Washington. <laughs> uh, he's out there chopping down cherry trees. Uh, and He can't. <laughs> even when it would be to his advantage. Even when he said, no, it's it it was not there. I was there. I saw it. You know, the... the the film, the angle is misleading. You know, there's no way I beat him fair and square. He just wants to gripe because he's a bad guy. No, Ricky doesn't do all that. He's like, yeah, you know, I think you're probably right. That's probably a good cause. We should probably wrestle again. And he was, he was a little bit more self-confident with it though. He was like, you know, but the referee counted to three. So I did win this match. I won this title fair and square, but I do see how Mr. Flair has a legitimate complaint that his foot may have been on that rope, but like, and he would get a lawyer. And yeah, yeah. Get a lawyer. <laughs> well, just a uh, unbelievable finish to an unbelievable event. Uh, we appreciate you taking a listen to us. And, uh, as, and we, I mean, this is, you know, we say this a lot, but like, go, just go watch it. Like you can listen to us and we're, Please. We'll break it down for you. We're happy to do it. But seriously, if you like, if you love wrestling, um, if you care about sort of classic area wrestling, era wrestling at all, or especially if you, you know, are into Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, this is, this is for you. So and I would argue that you could take this match and put it on any current pay-per-view 
for any wrestling promotion and it would look modern and clean and fresh to you still. Yeah. There's no doubt. There's nothing in this match that is dated except for maybe some of the language used by commentary, but everything in this match looks like, like something you would see today in a wrestling match. Well, we talked about that a little bit with WrestleMania three and Ricky versus macho man as also being, very modern right and that it uh can definitely it could stand up for sure yeah without a doubt like i mean there's there's no like 20 minute sleeper holds there's no you know no like just like laying on the mat there's no you know there's there's no breaks in this match they are constantly going and they're going from spot to spot cleanly and crisply and just like nothing it's this is this is another like beautiful symphony and ballet and opera all in one coming at you in professional wrestling style I'd like to take a moment to pay tribute to the men and women we've seen who are no longer with us. So our in memoriam section for the Clash of Champions six from 1989 includes Sam Muchnick, Buddy Rogers, Pat O'Connor, Lou Says, Harley Race, Gene Kaniski, Beautiful Bobby Eaton, Manager Gary Hart, The Chunkyard Dog, Butch Reed, Hiro Matsuda, Dick Murdoch, Dr. Death Steve Williams, Road Warriors, Animal and Hawk, Hot Stuff, Eddie Gilbert, and Steve Casey. So that'll do it for this episode of All the WrestleManias. Remember, you can find us online at allthewrestlemanias.com, on Twitter at, at WrestlemaniaPod. You can always shoot us an email at allthewrestlemanias at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Instagram. If you'd like to contribute and help us fund the show, you can find us at ko-fi slash all the WrestleManias. Is that right? Did I get that one right? Uh, ko-fi.com slash all the WrestleManias. Slash all the WrestleManias. Um, drop us five bucks to help us uh, keep our equipment upgraded and uh, pay for our web space if you're so inclined um, but for now i'm your co-host tim and i'm rich and so long everybody bye-bye